Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 95 will conclude Oscar's conversation with Wildcat great Kevin Grevy. In part one, we left off with the Cats handing Indiana their only loss of the 1974-75 season on their way to the Final Four. It was Kevin's senior year and the final two games of his career, and he will share the mindset of the Cats heading into the Final Four. As the Cats made their way to the national championship game, they were up against much more than UCLA. You will hear about the 1975 national championship game against UCLA and how a couple of free throws and one big announcement may have had an influence on that game. That game comes full circle later on in Kevin's broadcast career, as he will explain later on. Oscar and Kevin will wrap up by discussing former teammates and coaches, as well as other aspects of his time at Kentucky. After Kentucky was drafted by the Washington Bullets and finally he was able to win a championship with the Bullets in 1978. From Super Kitten to All-American, Kevin Grevy's career should not be overlooked at Kentucky as he firmly planted the foundation for a historic championship run for the Cats in 1978. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House and his guest, Kevin Grevy. And I guess you needed a week off to we get did. ready for Syracuse in the Final Four yeah. because you couldn't have been on any higher throughout your career. That's right. No, it was. It was. Uh, this was what we were all striving for, not just to get to the Final Four, but to win a championship. And um, to win a championship back then, you either had to go through UCLA or you had to go through Indiana. Those were two, you know, daunting programs. And um, we lost Indiana our sophomore year to be able to have the opportunity in the regional finals to play UCLA in the Final Four. Now, UCLA, we're not even thinking of them because we, our, our, our bullseye was Indiana. Once we beat them, now we're the number one team in the country, and what a high we were on. And we felt like there's no denying us. We're going to San Diego. We're going to beat Syracuse and hopefully play Louisville because they were in the Final Four. And we're going to make this an all-Kentucky final, and we're going to make Denny Crum eat crow and all the crap he said about us when we were freshmen. None of us liked Denny he Crum. Had a, he had some choice words throughout that year before about Rick Roby. And their center, was it Ricky Gallon? Yeah, he said Ricky Gallon's better than Roby. And he said Junior Bridgman's better than Greavy. And, <laughs> and you know, we, we got a freshman. The Super Kittens, we got a freshman class. It's better than them. We can beat them. You know, and, and he was talking all that smack. So none of us liked him. Now, of course, 
years go by. Yes. Of course, Coach Hall was great, became yeah. very close to, and, and Denny Crump couldn't have been nicer to me, Hall of Fame, and I would see him at the yeah. Derby and everything. I wanted to hate the guy, <laughs> but uh, then he'd come up, put his arm around <laughs> you and start killing you with all that you know smooth kindness, and you're like, you know, Denny Crum is a pretty cool guy. <laughs> we'll talk about another one of those in a few minutes. Well, we go to San Diego. You take on Syracuse, take care of them, and I'll let you take it from there. Well, um, we beat Syracuse, and um, we played the first game in that Final Four in San Diego. So we all showered up quick and went into the stands. And uh, to a man, we were rooting in that second game. For Louisville, we wanted Louisville so bad. We really did. And I think every Kentucky fan would say the same thing. What a great thing. It would attract so much attention to the state of Kentucky, if Louisville and Kentucky battle it out. And we watched that game, and um, UCLA, um, you know, I um, I didn't know a lot about them. I knew David Myers and Marcus Johnson and, of course, John Wooden, the great coach. I didn't know a lot of their their team, and I felt that Louisville was a lot better. They should win this game, and dag on it. The dag on thing gets into overtime, and uh, Howard misses those two free throws. Only Poor two guy. free throws he missed his entire senior year. Yeah, I ended up playing tennis with him later on in life, and uh, you know that's like you know a kicker that's you know miss goes wide right. You know the Buffalo Bills had a chance at the end to beat the New York Giants Super Bowl, and that poor guy. He's reminded of that the rest of his life, and Howard is too. But Howard's, you know, a strong guy and great character, and he overcame it. And that's, you know, when you put yourself out into the public as an athlete, you can miss a free throw. You can, you know, um, Chris Webber and calling a timeout in the championship game when they didn't have timeouts, uh, and he left. Remember with Michigan mm-hmm. when that, uh, and they lost the championship. But he overcame it because he was strong and uh, became a very good pro. And, um, you know, I never thought as a player that I would let that fear of having one of those moments because I knew that that was never going to happen, that every time I needed a play, I was going to make it. Every time I needed a shot, I could do it. You're going to have failures, but those you overcome but in that championship game I missed two free throws and I'll never forget it I was 11 for 13 from the line but I missed two critical free throws with about 12 or eight minutes left in the game that could have swung that game in a different way so not all my feelings are all that great about that championship game I had 34 points and so on but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because we were talking about the emotion of watching that Louisville-UCLA game. We were disappointed that UCLA won. And uh, so I think uh, we probably shouldn't even been in the arena. We should have just gone out, had dinner as a group, and don't worry about what happens in that next game. Really, you shouldn't worry about that. You shouldn't have a vested interest in who you want to play or don't play. But we got caught up in that whole Kentucky drama of you know Kentucky Louisville final and so we left disappointed a little bit and that was uh, on Saturday evening or early evening and uh, then coach Hall got us all together we had dinner we started preparing for UCLA we had a team meeting the next day um, 
I think we had more Catholics on the Kentucky team than Notre Dame, you know, because <laughs> we had church uh, service at the hotel in San Diego. All of us did. And then we had a uh, team breakfast. And then we went to the San Diego Zoo. And uh, Coach Hall said, listen, I know a lot of your families are here if you want to include them. So I remember my brothers, my little brother Norm, he was about three or four years old. He sat on my lap, and we went on the team bus to San Diego Zoo. We went to the zoo, and then we came out of the zoo, and we had had our practice. We were prepared, and we were going to spend a little quality time together as a group with our families. And then I remember the media coming up and said, what do you think about Coach Wooden retiring? This is going to be his last game. Tomorrow night will be his last game. And that was the first I had heard of that. And uh, I'm looking around like, well, I didn't know that. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. You know, we'll, uh, you know, he's a great coach. Uh, he he can retire. You know, we're just going – I don't think he's dressing out, is he? I don't think we have to worry about him playing. So we're going to focus on the guys we got to play against. And um, Coach Hall mentioned to us as a group, you know, don't let this John Wooden retirement stuff get – in the way of what we're doing focus on what we can control and what we have and what we've done we're very deserving to be here now let's play our best game and um, I remember my dad coming up to me uh, when we got back from the San Diego Zoo he said Kevin did you hear the news and I said well, what's that dad he said uh, well John Wooden retiring you know that I said well yeah I just heard about it but I'm not really thinking much about it he said well I don't know he said you know you all were four point favorites now you're one point favorites so somebody <laughs> thinks it's it's a big deal my dad should have never said that to me no <laughs> but he him. turned out to maybe have been accurate yeah he was accurate so all of a sudden the pendulum is swinging towards UCLA and that and was a storyline and it became instead of the Kentucky Louisville you know, uh, matchup, uh, it became, this is a legend, let's see him out. Um, you know, it's not about Kentucky beating Indiana and knocking out that undefeated team and here comes Big Blue. Uh, it was all UCLA. And we're in San Diego, and the media was all about it. And the headlines on Monday was all about John Wooden retiring. It wasn't even about our game with UCLA. And or Kentucky. It was all Coach Wooten. They had all the championships, and then they had 1975, and they had a question mark. It was front page news, you know, and you're looking at this stuff, and man, these people really think, you know, UCLA isn't that good. You know, <laughs> we're better than them. We're going to just punish them. And uh, nothing went right. It was a bad game. You know, I look back in that box score, and I could be wrong, Oscar, but did UCLA only play six guys in that game? I think so. Maybe seven. We were a 10-12 deep team. We had an unbelievable bench. We had power, physicality. We had veterans. We were a great team. We were a terrific team. You know, uh, Bobby Knight's team, if you weren't really good. UCLA had like six losses that year. It didn't go right. You know, I mentioned the two free, three free throws I missed. Um, I saw something that I hadn't seen all year long, and I saw our freshmen, uh, Lee Givens, Roby Phillips, just not in their rhythm. I'd throw the ball down to Rick. Normally Rick would be very decisive with his move. Mike Phillips, same way. 
balls coming out of their hands. They're missing easy shot. Richard Washington, are you kidding me? This guy wasn't very good. He wasn't as good as Mike and Rick, but Richard Washington had an unbelievable game. Everything was going his way. Well, when I saw that, I was like, I got to do more. So I started forcing some shots, forcing my offense, which the only time I never trusted my freshman was that championship game. And I regret that that happened. And, I, of course, I felt horrible that we lost. And I felt like I could have done even more. But uh, it wasn't enough. And we lost by five points, I believe, in that championship game. But um, I held a grudge for a long time. John Wooten, I held a grudge against him. Held one against Marcus. Disappointment. Uh, abundance. You know, um, it wasn't enough. You were so close and not to win. And that same thing happened to me in high school. I was like, what do I got to do to win a championship? We didn't get a championship for being undefeated freshman team. We just were undefeated. Wanted the championship. That's why you play this game. And I held this grudge against John Wooden for a long time. Do you want me to finish that story? <laughs> I, I am waiting. I am waiting very right, patiently. I, you're, you're, you're familiar with what I'm going to say here, but maybe your listeners aren't. Um, I had a chance to um, broadcast games for CBS Westwood One after my playing days were over with the Washington Bullets and the Milwaukee Bucks. And so I'm working for CBS Westwood One and doing some TV for a regional cable company and just having a great time running my restaurant and hanging out uh, doing games. And uh, just so happened I got the job to work with Joel Myers, who was out here in L.A. And uh, it was UCLA Notre Dame on a Sunday afternoon. It was CBS uh, Game of the Week. And I was going to go to Pauley Pavilion, and they just named the floor the John Wooden floor. You know how they do the naming rights. So I get to L.A., and we go to Pauley Pavilion, and uh, I meet with Joel Myers um, several hours before the game, and he said, Kevin, we got to do a storyline. What, what do you want to talk about in this game? Because, you know, the matchup isn't really good. Notre Dame could very easily get blown out here, and we're going to have a lot of fill time. So we got to prepare. And I said, well, whenever we have Phil, let's talk about all those great UCLA teams that I grew up in high school watching, that I played against, and all these terrific – I mean, look at these banners. He said, you know what, let's lead in to the broadcast, and we'll start talking about the banners, you know, 61, 60. You know, there were like 10 of them up there, all right? But there was that last one in 1975 – and, I, and when we're going through the banners and all the greatness here at, at uh, Poly Pavilion on the John Wooden Court, UCLA, Kevin, look at those banners. And he said, now, 1975, you were in that championship game, right? Uh, in San Diego, I remember that game well. I said, yes, I do remember. And I remember Coach Wooden announcing his retirement and changing the whole momentum of that game and I've held a grudge against him he said whoa Kevin you really are bitter huh you, you know <laughs> it's coming out and I said well how can it not you know I thought it was uh, you know a personal decision he made and I'm saying this on the national audience you know and and Joel Myers is getting a little like well I'll tell you what Kevin I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you he's sitting right behind you 
And I looked behind. I said, oh, my God, the old man is behind me. It's Coach Wooden. He really is here. And he's Kevin, he comes to every game. You don't understand. I do UCLA basketball. He's here. He's a gentleman. He would – you know what? If you go up and you introduce your uh, – you tell him you were doing the broadcast with Joel Myers, and you tell him how we let in. But whatever you do, don't, don't, don't mention to the legend – if he hadn't retired, then maybe there had been a different outcome. You, you shouldn't say that to him. So, you know, you got a mulligan here. You go up and you be real nice to him. And I said, well, of course I will. I'm, you know, I, I have great respect for Coach Wooden. I will. So when the game ended, I took my headset off and I said, Joel, you think I should go up and say hi to Coach Wooden? He said, most definitely go up and say hi to him. He's got great recall. He'll remember you, Kevin. He'll remember the 34 points, the championship, that battle. He'll remember. But whatever you do, don't, don't, don't tell him about it. Don't mention retirement. That, that's, that doesn't sit well with him. And I said, I won't. I won't say that. And I made up my mind I'm going to introduce myself and just move on. I'm not going to say a word. But I had to wait there for like a half hour. Everybody's getting autographs and everything. And I was the last guy in line. So when it was my turn. I go up and I said, Coach Wooden, I want to say hello to you. I said, I played against you in 1975. I was on that Kentucky team in San Diego, the, your last championship. I was doing a game with Joe Myers. He's looking at me. I said, I was doing a game. Is this the Joe Myers that does the Pelicans now? Yeah, that's him. Great guy. Oh, he's great. Great, yes. And he's an L.A. guy. Yeah, and, uh, okay. It was actually the first time I had ever met him. We ended up doing a lot of games yeah. together. And I said, I was working with Joel and for CBS and – he looked at me, he said, Kentucky, you're Kevin Grevy. I said, yes, sir, I am. I'm, uh, he said, 34 points, left-hander. Boy, you were a good player. Man, you could shoot it. He said, and you had a nice NBA career. And you're, you're yes. feeling about this small. He's killing me with his kindness, you know, and he's <laughs> winning me over, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's all these things everybody says he is. He's a gentleman. He's saintly. He's so nice. And, you know, and then his daughter was sitting there in the stands right behind him. She was helping him get in and out of, you know, the stands. And she said, uh, he said, uh, Mabel, or whatever his daughter had, you were at the Final Four. You were in San Diego when Kentucky and UCLA, my last game, what a tough team that was. And, Remember that left-hander that was on that Kentucky team? Here he is, and he introduced me to his daughter. And I said, Coach, I'm flattered you even remember me. And he said, well, of course I do. And, and he said, uh, what are you doing now? And I told him I was doing the broadcasting. I have a business back in Northern Virginia. And, and I said, Coach, you know, it was a, just an honor to be here to see you and a pleasure to be back here at Pauley Pavilion. In fact, you know, the naming of your court, you're so deserving. And now I'm throwing a little kindness his way, you know. And, As uh, only came in great yeah. and, uh, and then I said, and uh, I don't know if it's the Irish or if I've been carrying this burden around for 30 friggin' years, but I had to throw it out in spite of what Joel warned me not to say anything. And I said, and Coach – uh, you know, that 1975, that banner I said on air should be in Rupp Arena. If Coach Wooten hadn't retired the night before that game, it might have had a different outcome. And I looked at him, and this, you know, he was like Santa Claus. He was so fresh and nice and happy. And when I said that, 
his glasses, those bifocals, almost fell down to the tip of his nose, and he got this sour look on his face, and he said, well, maybe if you'd have played a little defense, you know, you guys might have won it. And he <laughs> turned around and walked away from me. And I went, oh, my God. He just – he dug me, you know. He, he dropped the mic. He sure <laughs> did. And I'm like, I don't believe he just did that to me. And so I humbly walk away. So not only have I been burdened for 30 years, now he dug me again, you know. He got me one more time. And so I, you know, I was afraid to even share that story with anybody because he's a legend and, you know, he's, he's a saint. And do you show a bad side of somebody? And I remember Larry Brown coming up to me and he hugged me. He said, I am so glad you said that to John Wooden. I heard your story. That's brilliant. You know, he was such a rat to me when I was at UCLA. Larry Brown told me that. And so Larry Brown and I got like this bond, you know, just because neither one. There's only maybe two people, four people maybe in the whole world that don't like John Wooden. Yeah. I happen to be one of them. And I don't hold grudges. And after I said that, it wasn't. It didn't matter what he said to me. I will. I. It's over. I don't have. I don't hold a grudge. And the, you know, God bless him. You know, and and uh, his family. And he's great. And so on. But um, if I'd had it to do all over again, I wouldn't have said it. I should have, you know, taken other people's advice and just move on. And um, but I did. <laughs> let, let Let's talk a little bit. Uh, give me a line or two about. These people that you become acquainted with, players, colleagues, coaches, uh, while you were here at Kentucky. And uh, let's just start out with uh, Ronnie Lyons. Ronnie Lyons was magic with the basketball before I – I mean, he was white chocolate before there was white chocolate. He was the best ball handler passer I had ever seen at that time. Rick Druitz. Rick Druitz could shoot the lights out of it. Uh, he was just thin and not physical enough, really, to play at the level that we came in. But, man, could he shoot it. Ray Edelman. Ray Edelman, uh, he chose the right career. He became an attorney, smart as <laughs> crap, and he was a locker room lawyer. He kept us all together. I love Ray Edelman. Jim Andrews. I told you what he was. I don't like to say freak about certain people, but he was an athletic freak. I mean, he could run and jump, um, block shots. Great athlete. Roger Wood. <laughs> Roger Wood, um, just no confidence. Big guy, but um, end up transferring because he just had a lack of belief in himself. Larry Stamper. Ooh, he was tough. You know, I had to guard. Uh, he had to guard me, and I had to guard him every day in practice. He talks about that almost daily. Man, I mean, you think I wasn't prepared for the fire of the SEC having him to go against every day? He made me better. David Miller. David Miller, Louisville guy who we um, – just a fun dude, man. I wish he hadn't transferred. Steve Lockmuller. Lock was kind of that two-sport guy. Football, basketball, brought a great toughness. Um, 
smart as could be. Best game ever was at Georgia against Timmy Bassett uh, when we needed him most. Jerry Hale. Jerry Hale is our uh, our leader. Um, during our career and after, he's um, he's like the class president. <laughs> Joey Holland. Joey Holland, man, he had to follow his dad's legacy. You know how hard that is to do. You know, Joey Sr., All-American and uh, great player. Joey was a heck of a player in his own right. Reggie Warford. Reggie. Uh, Reggie was tough, battle-strong, um, had to go against Flynn and Connor every day in practice, made him better. And uh, Reggie – uh, is prepared for the biggest battle of his life. He's really uh, had open heart surgery, had a heart transplant. I think that toughness has kept him going. Danny Hall. Danny Hall was uh, sort of my old Kentucky home. Uh, he was everything. He he could play the drums. He could play the guitar. He could. He was talented. Um, he died too early. James Lee. James Lee was uh, probably the most physical specimen that I ever played against at that time. Raw bone, strong, athletic. I don't know if anybody at Kentucky had bigger hands for a man his size. He could snatch that ball off the glass one hand, dunk one hand. We loved James Lee. G.J. Smith. Well, God rest his soul. G.J., man, I – Last time I saw him was here at a Kentucky function. All of us super kittens were together. He looked so good. I think he was athletic director, high school, Laurel County, uh, baseball coach. Who would have ever thought he would have died so young and with a heart attack? But uh, great, great shooter. I don't know if there was a better shooter that I had played with at that time than G.J. Smith. Larry Johnson. LJ. <laughs> he was awesome, man. Never saw a guy that could dribble so low, jump, athletic. He had all the skills. He should have had a 10-year NBA career. I don't know what happened. He got drafted by the Buffalo Braves, I think they were called. Only had a cup of coffee in the NBA. He was special. Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips, another one that's not with us. I've lost three of my teammates from that championship team. Um, and Mike, um, he was uh, – we used to kid him, the black hole. We'd throw it to him. <laughs> we knew it wasn't coming back, but more than likely it was going through the hoop. Mike was a force down on the low block. Man, he was good. Bob Guyette. Well, Bob Guyette has probably achieved more off – uh, and after his career at Kentucky than any of us. Uh, Mike, uh, or Bob, is, uh, you know, was a terrific basketball player from Ottawa, Illinois, player of the year, Illinois, and uh, unfortunately had to play out of position. He was a power forward, and for a couple years he had to play center. Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn, one of the most skilled, most talented guys on that team. Quick athletic coach Hall wouldn't let him shoot <laughs> I think he's held a, a little bit of a grudge because Mike came to Kentucky Mr. Indiana a great shooter and he never really 
got to show his skills as a shooter. Played it. Play in the ABA and the NBA. Jack Gibbons. Oh, Goose, man. Was there a sweeter little left-handed jumper, skilled, um, had to buy his time. Uh, but, boy, he had one heck of a career here at Kentucky. I'm so proud of him. Um, and uh, he's just one of the great ambassadors of Kentucky basketball, Jack Gibbons. Rick Roby. Rick Roby. Um, was a warrior, man. I loved having Rick on my team. I had played against him when he was with Phoenix and the Celtics. I'm like, hey, Rick, why are you throwing elbows at me or bodies at me? He said, you're the bad guy now, Grief. But uh, great teammate. Uh, if I told Rick to do something, he would do it. He just would do whatever I said. <laughs> you know, I'd say, Rick, go out and get 20 rebounds. And dang on if he wouldn't do it. <laughs> I never had a teammate quit like that. I said, Rick, take this guy's head off. Rick, set this guy a pick. He would, uh, you know, I was a senior. He was a freshman. He was a puppet on a string. But, boy, what a puppet to have. Jimmy Dan Connor. Well, Jimmy Dan was our captain. He was our leader. Laurel County, or no, uh, uh, from Frankfurt, uh, Anderson County. Um, he showed all of us freshmen how to be – good Kentuckians you know I was from Ohio we're all from somewhere else and uh, Jimmy Dan was our leader all the way to the end coaches T.L. Plain T.L. was a good second uh it was like uh, who was Johnny Carson's second uh, Ed McMahon mm -hmm. uh he was perfect for that role um he was everybody's friend we all loved him Gail Catlett he was tough Gail was no nonsense. Um, he was kind of a planted seed by Coach Rupp, and uh, nobody uh, that you know really trusted Coach Catlett. We're like, what's he here for? <laughs> but you know what? I got to know him and became friends with him, and uh, became a great coach and West Virginia guy. And uh, his daughter used to eat at my restaurant all the time. Gail would come to my restaurant, Grievy's. Those thirty years I owned it. Dick Parsons. Another one, we love Dickie. Dickie, um, he was the, uh, the honest part uh, to a fault sometimes. He would just tell you, Kevin, you're just getting beat on defense. Or, Kevin, you got to get on the glass. And will you do that? And I would say, yes, sir, I will. Boyd Grant. Well, Boyd, man, what a defensive coach he was, you know, uh, I would say him and Leonard Hamilton showed what kind of defensive coaches they were. Boyd went to Fresno State and made his mark. Uh, I was out, you know, I worked for the Lakers for 20 years. He's a legend at Fresno, California. When he was here, we he helped us tighten up our 1-3-1 and our man-to-man -man defense. Jim Hatfield. Well, Jim Hatfield, another great guy. Um, we loved Jim. He was um, – he was kind of the uh, – he would keep keep Coach Hall intact. You know, Coach Hall could lose it now and then. And the first coach that would grab him and try to calm him down was Jim Hatfield. Jim Dinwiddie. Jim Dinwiddie, man. He, I don't know if I would have come to Kentucky if it wasn't for Jim Dinwiddie. You know, he really had a lot to do with me coming. Just a class act. Uh, he would come with Coach Hall and the assistants and uh, – 
he was another one that loved Kentucky so much I could see it. And I'm thinking, well, if this guy loves it that much, it must be pretty good. Lynn Nance. Lynn Nance, man. Uh, you couldn't cross Lynn. You know, if you thought uh, – well, we all knew and respected what kind of fighter he was and what a tough guy he was. So he kind of ran interference for everything for Coach Shaw. Leonard Hamilton. I've never seen a guy 70 that looks better than Leonard Hamilton. Are you kidding me? You know, uh, you could say that about Cliff Hagen, 87. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, – what the DNA is about some guys that look so good. And I saw Leonard just a few weeks ago as a scout. And I'm, I'm proud to say Leonard Hamilton was my assistant coach because he's the only guy left that's still coaching that's in the ranks. I love Leonard Hamilton. He's a fun guy, man. Cliff Hagen. Talked to Cliff just yesterday. You know, 87, uh, he's doing really well. He had prostate cancer. His PSA test came out great. Uh, I'm so happy to hear that. And um, he spends a lot of time in Florida, plays a little tennis. And Cliff plays like he looks, like he's about 50. Harry Lancaster. Harry Lancaster, man. He spoke at my high school banquet. Uh, he was uh, – Another great ambassador of Kentucky, Kentucky sports, Kentucky basketball. Um, Harry was another guy you had to be careful. I remember I did something really stupid one time on the court my freshman year, or maybe it was my sophomore year. And Harry was the athletic director, and then Cliff came in. And so Cliff was my athletic director junior, senior year. We're playing Tennessee. I'm on the court, and... Um, uh, I made a really nasty gesture. I'm not going to say I shot the bird, but it was <laughs> close. But I made an ugly gesture at this uh, referee. And nobody saw it. The official didn't see it. Harry saw it. And the next day in practice, I go to practice, and Harry Lancaster, he pushed me against the wall, and he said, if I ever see that again from a Kentucky player, especially you, that doesn't represent our university. It doesn't represent our team. And certainly, I thought you were better than that. Don't you ever do that again. And I believed him. <laughs> <laughs> and I never did ever again lose my temper like that, that I did that day after Harry confronted me. Adolph Rupp. I loved Adolf Rupp, man. I was afraid of him. Why was I so afraid of him and so in awe of him? Um, but I was. But I got to see the the more tender side of this crusty, tough old guy. You know, he was in his 60s. He looked much older. And I'm in my 60s. I, I never thought I saw anybody ever look so old as Coach Rupp. And little did I know he was suffering with diabetes. You know, he was diabetic and he he passed away like five years after I graduated from Kentucky. But if I have any regret, it's to tell him how much I loved him and what a great guy and great coach he was. I never got to tell him. Joe B. Hall. I had plenty of opportunities to tell Coach Hall how much I love him and <laughs> what a great coach he was. And uh, I never stopped telling him because you never know when the last time it is that you're going to see your coach. Coach looks good. He's doing well. Oscar, what is he, 91 maybe? 
Coach Hall. He's getting up there. And um, we mentioned great ambassadors. Is there ever a greater ambassador of Kentucky basketball than Joe B. Hall? There never will be, never was. Most exciting game you played in while at Kentucky? Oh, come on, Oscar. That's hard to pick. There were so many great ones. Um, emotionally, um, senior day, the greatest basketball game I ever played was my sophomore year to win the SEC against Tennessee. Um, and also my senior year. I don't know if I had a, ever – a more efficient game. I've scored more points. I had more rebound assists. But against Tennessee, every possession, there are very few. And that Tennessee game, my senior year against Tennessee, I was 11 for 13 from the field at 27 points. To get 10 points against Tennessee, you have to have a good game. So it was probably my best ever. Most disappointing loss? Well, it's the UCLA game. It's not even close. That was the most disappointing loss. Um, outside of the UCLA game, um, it would have probably been at Tennessee my sophomore year. We should have beat them. We lost 106 to 100. Um, I've had some tough losses, but when you get my age, you forget about the losses and you think about the wins. I used to have basketball nightmares. Now every basketball dream I have is a positive one <laughs> best player you ever played against while at Kentucky um I would have to say two because they they're connected at the hip Ernie Grumfeld and Bernard King they're best, Ernie, Bernie. best team you played against best team I played against mm-hmm. might have been I'd have to talk to my teammates about this, and uh, when I'm with them next, I'm going to ask them who they think was the best team. Um, and I'm going to keep it in the SEC. I'm not going to talk about UCLA, or I'm not even going to mention Indiana. They don't deserve it. I'm going to say Vanderbilt, my junior year, Jam Bam, Croft, F Troop, Fostner, Fear, Ford. That was one hell of a team that Bandy had that year. Most hostile arena you ever played in while at Kentucky? Uh, Stokely, Tennessee was pretty hostile. Um, I'm going to also keep this in the SEC, but um, one of the hardest, I'm not going to say hostile, but the most difficult place is at Bandy. It was very hard. Awkward, you're on a stage, benches are in the end zone. Those fans were tough, hard to, to win over in Nashville. Where did you like to play most on the road in the SEC? What venue did you look forward to playing at? You know, you're going to find this strange. I don't know if anybody, any Kentucky player told you this, but I played better on the road. I look forward to road games. I loved road games. Yeah, of course, I love playing here at home, Memorial Coliseum, and the atmosphere and the energy you get from your fans. But every road game was in a, a challenge, and I loved playing on the road. Biggest thrill as a Wildcat? Biggest thrill as a Wildcat. Um, thrilling to win the SEC my sophomore year. 
and to finally advance and get into the NCAA tournament. If you could turn the clock back and live your career over again, is there anything you would change? Boy, that's a that's a deep perspective question. Um, I try to live my life without regrets and not to and to learn from my mistakes and not make them a second time. Um, I really can't say I have any regrets. The whole journey, there was a reason why you had failure. There was a reason why you stumbled or got injured because you had to learn how to bounce back from that. And uh, uh, all the things that I experienced in Kentucky prepared me for professional basketball, prepared me for life. And um, uh, I learned, you know, you're, you're selfish when you – uh, are an athlete and you're trying to strive you got to have your naps your rest your meals don't bother me I gotta have this I gotta have that and um, when I got to Kentucky I learned to share um, and share with my teammates and stop playing for me and start playing for that that jersey Kentucky other than your family mm-hmm. who's been the most inspirational person in your life uh well, you know, my obviously my dad, and you said other than your family, but I'm sorry, I can't go without my dad. Um, and uh, I always look for uh, my dad figure in people because my dad was such high integrity, and um, he um, he set the bar high for me, and also want him to keep me humble. And you know, you go to church and you respect people and always sign autographs and he would watch me and if he thought I made a mistake I'd you know uh, I would listen to my dad so those dad dad figures were my coaches and uh, my high school coach was the closest that ever came to my dad and I got to spend more time with him than I ever did with coach Hall or any of my NBA coaches so Marv McCollum without Marv I would have never been a basketball player and prepared the way I was to come to Kentucky. I would have never been an NBA player without Marv McCollum. How would you like to be remembered? Mm, um, I'm kind of remembered just being a left-handed volume stroker, you know. <laughs> I, that that Grevy was fearless. He would shoot him from anywhere. And that's okay, you know. <laughs> it's just great to be remembered. Uh, I have that number hanging up in Rupp Arena. Um uh, that's pretty cool, and uh, I have great relationships with my teammates, which is very important. And the gift that keeps on giving, having played at Kentucky, and to be remembered like that, is that we all did it, and we did it our way. Uh, we were transgressing some really difficult times with Rupp leaving and Joe coming. And those super kittens and all those expectations. Did we live up to it? Well, only history will tell. But uh, we had one hell of a time doing it. It was a great journey, and it set me um, towards my MBA career and my my uh, after career activities as a restaurateur and a scout. This is where I all started, and like I told you at the beginning of this interview, uh, that's why I got emotional when I walked into Memorial Coliseum for the first time. 
after eight years because I knew it really made me who I am today playing here. You've just finished episode 95, part two of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House and his guest, Kevin Gravy. You heard Kevin mention a few of his teammates, and Oscar was fortunate enough to have them join him on previous episodes of Conversations. Those installments include Episode 6 with Larry Stamper, Episode 18 with Jim Andrews, Episode 38 and 39 with Coach Jim Hatfield, and Episode 61 and 62 with Jerry Hale. All episodes can be accessed for free at oscarcombs.com. For your mobile devices, search for Ad Wildcat News in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and subscribe for free. And to keep track of the cats and Oscar, follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bill Robinson, and thank you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.